text for this morning's sermon is from, from Revelation 8, the verses 6 to 13. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth, and the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's important for us to remember for whom the book of Revelation was first written. It is addressed to the seven churches in Asia Minor. Initially, the Christian faith was seen as an offshoot of Judaism and was accepted. But it did not take long for the Roman authorities to begin persecuting Christians. They consider the Christian's profession that Jesus is Lord to be in conflict with the emperor cult. Christianity was soon considered to be an unauthorized religion, and God's people were sorely oppressed. Some were imprisoned for their faith, others faced famine. Some were martyred by being cast before wild beasts, others by being beheaded. Their blood was being poured out. Not only did their struggles come from outside the church, also from within, the churches were being attacked. False teachers and sects were troubling the churches. Both from within and from without, Satan was fiercely attacking the churches of our Lord Jesus Christ. Also today, Satan attacks the church in different ways. Sometimes he directly attacks God's people with oppression and persecution. Other times he lulls us into a state of sleepy, disengaged, 
comfortable complacency. Just like fish are attracted to the flash of a shiny lure, so Satan draws our attention away from devotion to Christ. So we seek after the things of this world. Sometimes Satan attacks the church through false teaching. Many Bible-believing churches have been drawn away from the truth by caving in to the world's perspectives on evolution, feminism, and sexuality. Satan likes it when we get focused on issues. Because usually when we do that, we forget about Jesus Christ. Satan also attacks us by making us doubt God's faithfulness and love for his people. He undermines our faith by making us question God's plan and purpose for us when we face trials and adversities. If God is all-powerful and is a supremely loving God, then why do we undergo so much suffering and sorrow? Why do Christians get cancer? Why does God allow his children to suffer poverty or even to die from starvation? Why does God allow his beloved people to undergo the ravages of war? Why do God's people need to suffer or die from earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes, or fires? Doesn't God care when his people are rounded up, put into detention camps, or martyred for their faith? In Revelation 6, verse 10, the souls of the martyrs prayed, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Our text shows how God answers that prayer. It gives perspective on the judgments that God brings on the earth. God's judgments are a punishment on the world's wickedness and rebellion. At the same time, they are an urgent call to repent. For us as God's people, they provide perspective on why also we at times experience trials and adversity in this life. The objective of Revelation is to encourage God's people to fight the good fight of the faith and to persevere to the end. I preach you the word of God under the following theme. Through four trumpet blasts, God proclaims his judgments on the earth. We'll see what the trumpet blasts signify, how God's judgments are restrained, and what kind of people we should be. In the Bible, trumpets are used for various things. The Lord used very loud trumpet blasts to summon his people to come before him at Mount Sinai. Numbers 10 shows how trumpets were used to summon the congregation or to break up the camp. The congregation could be summoned for different reasons. Trumpets were used to call the people to observe the Day of Atonement or to sound the alarm when Israel needed to go off to war. In our text, we see how four angels each blow a trumpet. In the chapters that follow, another three angels will blow their trumpets. Seven angels blowing seven trumpets. 
As I mentioned last week, there's a connection between the seven trumpets of Revelation and the seven trumpets blown by the priests before the destruction of Jericho. Joshua 6 tells us about how Israel marched around Jericho once per day for six days. As they went, the priests were blowing their trumpets continuously. Why did they blow their trumpets? They warned of impending doom. They announced that the judgment of the God of Israel was near. On the seventh day, the people marched around Jericho seven times with their trumpets blowing. After the seventh time, the people shouted and the trumpets were blown and the city walls came tumbling down. The people of Israel rushed into the city and a full and final judgment came upon Jericho. The seven trumpets blown on the seventh day ushered in judgment and conquest. The seven trumpets of Revelation are designed to bring that story to mind. They teach us that as God judged Jericho for her idolatry, violence, and wickedness, so he will judge the earth in the final days. As God fought for his covenant people to bring them into the promised land, so God will fight for the church today. So we also may share in the inheritance God has promised us. Living in the last days, in the time between Christ's ascension and his return, God will continue to trumpet forth his judgments on this earth. They're meant as a warning and as a call to repentance. When we dealt with the seven seals... They were divided into a pattern of four and three. With the opening of the first four seals, God sent four horsemen on the earth. On behalf of Jesus Christ, they unleash his judgments on the earth. These included conquest, slaughter, famine, and death on the earth. This was followed by three more seals, representing the prayer of the martyrs and God's final judgments on the earth. The same pattern is followed with the seven trumpets. These two are divided into a pattern of four and three. The first four trumpets represent God's judgment on the earth, while the final three picture the doom and the destruction that God will bring on all unbelievers. In our text, we hear the first four angels blow their trumpets. These trumpets sound forth God's judgment on this world in this present age. The judgment that God brings on the world is described using Old Testament imagery. You cannot understand Revelation without going back to the Old Testament. Sometimes people try to understand Revelation by looking what's going on in the world around them. They try to relate the imagery presented to the current events of today. That doesn't work. Revelation describes the judgments God is bringing on the world today by referring back to the judgments God brought on Egypt 
and Babylon, the great persecutors of God's people. The first trumpet sounds forth a judgment of hail and fire. This corresponds to the seventh plague the Lord brought upon Egypt. You know the story. God's people were slaves in Egypt, sorely oppressed. They cried to the Lord for help, and he sent Moses to deliver them. Pharaoh stands in the way. He refuses to let the people go. Or that's the way it appears on the outside. We know that God wanted to punish Egypt for their cruelty and their oppression of his people. Romans 9 says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, that he might show forth his glory time and again, so that his name might be proclaimed throughout the earth. When God brought forth the seventh plague on Egypt, there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. The hail was worse than anything ever experienced in Egypt since it became a nation. It struck down everything that was out in the open. All the people and the livestock that were outside were killed. Their blood was shed. All the standing crops were destroyed. The the trees were stripped bare. Similarly, in Revelation, we read of a third of the earth being burned up, a third of the trees being burned up, and all the green grass being burned up. Today, God brings his judgments on the earth through violent storms like hurricanes and cyclones with hail and flooding. God brings his judgment with lightning that starts huge fires, destroying everything in their pathway. Yet it's not just natural phenomena like storms that are in view here. Hail and especially fire are used in the Bible as symbols of God's judgment. When God unleashes these things, crops are destroyed and food becomes scarce. Thus, the judgment that God brings is not just through the storms themselves, but also through the resulting famines. Today, many say that the severe storms we see and the droughts that various regions suffer are all the result of climate change. Beloved, God's word makes it clear. The weather is completely in God's hands. At times, God uses extreme weather to bring his judgments on the earth. When the second angel blew his trumpet, something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, And a third of the sea became blood. This passage refers to Jeremiah 51, which is an oracle of the Lord against Babylon. Jeremiah 51 verse 25 says, the Lord says, I'm against you, O destroying mountain. You who destroy the whole earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against you, roll you off the cliffs, and make you a burned out mountain. The whole of Jeremiah 51 pictures God's vengeance against Babylon because of what they did to God's people in destroying Jerusalem and the temple 
and taken them into captivity. Jeremiah 51 verse 42 pictures Babylon being pitched into the sea and the waves covering her. In Revelation 18, God's final judgment on Babylon is pictured again. We need to understand, beloved, that Babel and Babylon are symbolic for the city of man, of all the people in the world who think they can live apart from God. They're symbolic of all the hostile forces in this world who live in rebellion and unbelief against God, of people who are arrogant, who boast of their own power and wealth and glory, of the world system we live in. In our text, God's punishment is pictured as a third of the sea becoming blood, a third of the living creatures of the sea dying, and a third of the ships being destroyed. When Moses turned the waters of Egypt into blood, the people didn't have fresh water to drink, and all their fish died. The Nile River, which was normally seen as a source of life, became a stinking, polluted mess. Shipping is a symbol of trade and of commerce. Our world makes an idol of business and of making money. Yet God pours out his judgments through economic slowdowns and depressions. He causes major banks to fail and businesses to go under. He judges the earth by bringing unemployment, poverty, and despair upon people when they least expect it. When the third trumpet sounded, a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. In Revelation, stars are often representative of angelic beings. Daniel 10 speaks about the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. These are angelic beings who rebelled with Satan and who oppose the work of God. It's clear that certain demonic powers are at work in specific worldly kingdoms. In our text, a great star fell from heaven. Isaiah 14 alludes to this. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid nations low. It speaks of how demonic powers who wanted to make themselves like God most high will be brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pits. Isaiah 14 pictures God's judgment on Babylon and its spiritual rulers from among the demonic forces. In our text, the name of the star that's cast down is Wormwood. Wormwood means bitterness. In our text, our text speaks about a third of the rivers and springs being polluted, and of how many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Scripture here offers us 
a beautiful contrast. When Israel came out of Egypt, God made the bitter waters of Merah sweet for his people so they could drink them. But in his judgment on the world, God makes the waters bitter. They become poisonous to many. We should not think that this refers to an actual poisoning of the water supply. Remember, Revelation often speaks using symbolic language. The point of the third trumpet blast is that God's judgments on the earth will result in many becoming bitter at their lot in life. The world thinks that life is sweet when you do whatever you want to do. But sin and rebellion and hostility against the Lord and his word actually make life bitter. The people of this world have nothing more than what they can see and what they can experience. They do not have peace with God, the comfort of belonging to Jesus Christ, or the hope of a future with God. Without God's blessings, sin and sickness, sorrow and death turn people's lives bitter. When the fourth angel blew his trumpet, a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. In this judgment, we see that the heavenly bodies, the sun, moon, and stars, are affected. At times in Scripture, we read about the sun being made black, the moon being covered, and the stars falling to earth. Such passages refer to God's final judgment when this created world comes to an end. Our text is different. It speaks of a third of the light from the heavenly bodies being blackened. It indicates a trial affecting the earth before the final judgment. To understand this judgment, we need to go back to the ninth plague that God brought on Egypt. He brought pitch darkness on the land in the middle of the day. It was an eerie darkness The Bible says it was a darkness that could be felt. The darkness lasted in Egypt for three days. It was an attack on Egypt's most powerful god, Ra, the sun god. He did not have the power to rise and to shine, to give the Egyptians light and life. In the Bible, God is light, while Satan is the prince of darkness. Darkness is symbolic of God's severe judgment. Jesus suffered the wrath of God on the cross, especially during the three hours of darkness from noon till mid-afternoon. The point of this fourth trumpet is that God is bringing his judgments on the earth. In Romans 1, Paul makes clear how God often brings forth his judgments on man's rebellion and sin. 
In Romans 1, Paul uses the phrase, God gave them up three times. God gave them up to, in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. One of the primary ways in which God judges people is by allowing them to suffer the consequences of their sins. When you break God's good commandments and live life according to how you see fit, you'll inevitably suffer the consequences of your sins. It's evident in all the broken family relationships, in all the anxiety and the mental health difficulties many around us encounter. The Bible teaches the wages of sin is death. So far we've seen what the four trumpet blasts signify. They sound forth God's judgments on the earth. In our second point, we'll see how God's judgments are restrained. Beloved, let's take a moment to back away from how the specific judgments, the trumpet blasts, are to be interpreted. I want you to pay attention to what is actually happening in each of God's judgments on the earth. Each time we read of a third of something being affected... With the first trumpet, a third of the earth, a third of the trees, and a third of the grass, and all the grass was burned up. With the second, a third of the sea became blood. A third of the sea creatures died. A third of the ships were destroyed. With the third trumpet, a third of the rivers and springs were polluted and poisoned. With the fourth trumpet, a third of the sun, moon, and stars' light was dimmed. There is a pattern here. A pattern of decreation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He said, let there be light, and there was light. God separated the earth from the skies, and he caused vegetation to grow. God set the sun in the heavens to give light by day, and the moon by night. God created the fish and all the other sea creatures. He made the animals and mankind. With the plagues on Egypt, we first see this pattern of decreation, where God systematically takes away his goodness and his blessings from that land. In the end, the ten plagues left Egypt totally desolated, physically, spiritually, and economically. The first four trumpets show us how in the last days God is bringing his judgments on the earth once more. And again, they show this pattern of decreation. God brings his judgments through storms and drought and other natural disasters. These things cause immense suffering on the earth. At times, thousands upon thousands of people are killed. And hundreds of thousands of people may lose their homes and their livelihoods. God brings his judgments against the established world order. He causes nations to rise against nations and peoples to war and to fight against each other. 
Different religions and ethnic groups hate each other, and terrorist attacks have caused many to be anxious and afraid. More and more, the world economy has been globalized, and God at times uses economic downturns to result in massive job losses and unemployment and poverty. God punishes sin and rebellion by bringing suffering on those who harden themselves against him. He makes their lives bitter. He causes them to despair, to fall into hopelessness. God often gives people over to the consequences of their sinful life. He makes their lives dark. We live in a fallen and broken world. Paul writes in Romans 8 that the whole of creation groans in travail up to the present time. It's all part of God's decreating work of bringing his judgments on the earth because of man's sin and rebellion against him. In different times and in different ways, God brings destruction and devastation into people's lives. And yet, beloved, God's judgment is restrained. With each judgment, only a third of the earth, of the sea, of the rivers and springs, or the sun, moon, and stars are affected. Why only a third? Why only a partial judgment at this time? Because the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. In Ezekiel 33, verse 11, the Lord declares, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. In 2 Peter 3, verse 9, Peter makes it clear that Christ has not yet returned on the clouds of heaven because he's patient with us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God brings his judgments on this earth as a warning of the final judgment to come. Yet at the same time, his judgments are intended to serve as a call to repentance to all who live in rebellion against him. Our text shows us a second manner in which God's judgments are restrained. When God brought the plagues on Egypt, the initial plagues fell on the whole of the land. They came upon both the Egyptians and the Israelites. Yet from the fourth plague onward, the plagues fell only on the Egyptians. God's people were spared from coming under these judgments of God. Similarly, in our text, we see a distinction made between the first four trumpets and the final three. The first trumpets have shown God's judgments over all the earth. Wars, natural disasters, calamities, sickness, and accidents. These things come upon both believers and unbelievers. When we sin and when we live in rebellion against God, we will all suffer the consequences of our actions. Yet verse 13 pictures an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth 
at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. The final three woes that are still to come are woes directed against those who dwell on the earth. In Revelation, those who dwell on the earth is a title given to those who live in rebellion against God. Or those who have hardened themselves in the way of sin. Our text shows that God makes a distinction between the judgments he makes on believers and those he makes on those who are not his children. The woes and the final three trumpet blasts proclaim God's judgment particularly on those who live in unrepentant sin, who harden their hearts against the Lord. Beloved, how comforting it is to know that all that happens on this earth is under the ultimate control of King Jesus Christ. He is the one who loved us so much. He was willing to come down to this earth to suffer and die for our sins. Jesus understands what it's like to live in a sinful and broken world. He sympathizes with us in the hardships and the struggles and the sorrows we face. He does bring his judgments on the earth to punish evildoers. There are warning to repent and to believe in him before the final day of judgment comes. Yet in the midst of the stress and anxiety of this life and of the brokenness that we often suffer, we know Jesus will show his love and care toward us. This brings us to our final point, what kind of people we should be. Beloved, ultimately there are only two groups of people in this world. There's those who belong to the city of God and those who belong to the city of man. There's those who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and submit to him as Lord of their lives. And there's those who live in rebellion against Christ and his word. There's those who live lives of freedom and peace and joy in Jesus Christ. And those who are under the mastery of Satan, who live in darkness and despair. To what group do you belong? There's always a temptation for us to be joined to the world and to partake in her sins. When Revelation 18 speaks about the fall of Babylon, of the people who identify with this corrupt world, a voice from heaven shouts out, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. Revelation 22 gives a final warning. Those who do not live by the word of God will have the plagues described in this book come down on them. They will suffer the just judgment of God for all their sins. Thus, beloved, we are called to repent of our sins daily, to seek our life in Jesus Christ, and to live for him. There's another responsibility that we as church have when we reflect on God's judgments on evildoers. We are to call 
the world to faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. Most of us have friends, neighbors, or co-workers who do not know God or who are not living in obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of these people are people whom we may respect and like. But currently they're walking the pathway of sin and death. We need to speak to them about the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ and to warn them about what the Bible says about the coming judgment out of concern for their eternal well-being. We need to be bold in communicating our desire for them to embrace Christ, that they may escape from God's eternal judgment. Beloved, we're living in a world that's increasingly ungodly. We come under the attack of Satan and his evil forces in many different ways. Please recognize that you're involved in a spiritual war. That our sworn enemies, the devil, this world, and our own sinful flesh do not cease to attack us. Pray that God may uphold and strengthen us by his spirit and word. That we may not go down to defeat. Pray that the Lord may equip us to fight the good fight of the faith. That we may persevere in our faith in Jesus Christ. Pray that we may obtain the crown of life that God has promised to all those who love him. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing from Psalm 7, stanzas 3, 4, and 5.